Welcome to the Surratt Brothers Podcast, a conversation about church, sports, current events, mostly church. Today we'll dive into, do marches, boycotts, rallies, do they still make a difference? We'll also talk about our Oscar predictions and how many movies Jeff did not see, and also how nice is too nice when it comes to the people around us at church. So join me and my brother Jeff for today's Surratt Brothers Podcast. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Surratt Brothers podcast. My name is Chris Surratt, and I'm here with my brother, Jeff, who also happens to be named Surratt. I guess that helps the the name of the podcast. If your name was different, Surratt Brothers wouldn't make a lot of sense. But would be uh, odd. It would be a little weird, but yeah, so we're here, and um, this is going to be fun. We started this uh, uh, last week, and we just thought, let's so uh, let's kick around some things that we're doing. We've both been in the church life for a long time. Uh, Jeff, much longer than I am, because he's old enough to be, uh, you could be my dad in some some scenarios. Some weird, weird, weird world. <laughs> you're, you're 10 years younger than me, so let's... Ten Let's just not go there. Ten and a half. Ten and a half. Yeah, let's let's make sure we're we're direct. So uh yeah, so we but we both been on church staff for a long time around some churches. So we're gonna talk about that. Plus we have very strong opinions about everything else. So right. that's what this podcast is about. Is that right, Jeff? Hey. That's right. So I've been I was thinking today, I've been on one way or another, been on a church staff or involved in vocational ministry for for forty two years. And I'm thinking you're probably at about 30, 31 or 32, because you're 10 and a half years younger and you started around the same time, same age that I did. So would that be accurate? Yeah, I started at 20. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah, 31. so that's about 31 years. Yeah, so, yeah, isn't that weird? That's 73 years <laughs> of ministry experience between us. Um, so between us, we're well way past the ministry retirement age. Hey, yeah, I was going to say there probably should be term limits at some point. Probably there are. We just don't pay attention. Yeah, I thought we went really creative with the naming our podcast, the Surratt Brothers Podcast. Like, I thought that the stuff that the branding team came up with in the uh, extensive audience research we did, the focus groups, all good stuff. But I just felt like Surratt Brothers was was strong. So it's interesting. I didn't know about any of that. I didn't know. Yeah, that we, was... we didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't do any of that. We just said let's just. You know, though, it is very Surratt to name it after ourselves. Like, that's a very (laughs) Surratt thing to do. Like, hey, you know, we didn't even talk about getting into it, but maybe another, maybe today, I don't know. But the only thing we've ever done that was well known is we were part of the conspiracy, right, to kill Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of interesting about that is it kind of came from, you know, a relative of ours named John Surratt way back. And he had a post office. So he got to name the town that the post office was in because he was the postmaster of that post office in that town. And Chris, what, what, what name did he, did he decide to name the town where he put his, where he was the postmaster? That would be Surrattville. That would be Surrattville. So we are well known for naming things after ourselves. And the little, uh, you've been there too, the little house or whatever that yep. was the post office is, is across the street from uh, Surrattville High School, which yep. is Surratt boarding house. exciting. Yep. Yep. Now, exactly. 
you notice that as soon as uh, we decided to to be in on killing a president, they decided to rename the town. It is That's no right. longer Surratville. So you, if you're That's looking right. for it, it's uh, cl- no, what is it? It's something. It is Clinton, Maryland. Clinton, Maryland. That's it. Yep. And 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 I'm sure there are many people think that it was named after President Bill Clinton. It was not. It was named Clinton like the day after we, our relatives, decided to try to help kill Abraham Lincoln. So anyway, there's there's some trivia that you don't need. Hey, I was thinking back, Chris, uh, this is our second episode, and I, I went back and listened to episode one. And do you remember the Seinfeld, Seinfeld pilot? Do you remember the very first Seinfeld where they're in the diner and they're talking about buttons on the shirt? You know, that's not actually the pilot. I saw the real pilot the other day because I oh, always okay. thought that was the pilot, but there oh, was okay. a show that they never they never show it, but I happened to catch it the other day, and okay. Elaine was not on the show yet. Um, yeah. She was not a character, and um, uh, George's dad, no, Jerry's dad was a different character, was a different guy. Oh, okay. But anyways, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Right. Well, but even on that first episode, they didn't have Elaine yet. Like Elaine was not around for that first one. That's kind of like our episode one of our podcast. Like it's going to be really good. And I think, you know, we're going to like millions of people are really going to get a lot out of this eventually, but not a great start. Like just kind of a rolling start, just kind of a couple of good things. And then like, eh, so really, really hoping this will be a, a little better. Well, for the listener, take the meat, throw out the bones. A lot of it's going to be bones. Hopefully we get a little bit of meat. A little bit of meat. meat. So, uh, yeah, playoffs going on. We did some predictions last time. I think Mm -hmm. um, I said Buffalo would be in the Super Bowl. They are out Mm -hmm. of the playoffs now. Um, That's right. who Who did you pick? I can't remember. Uh, let's see. I had the Lions, obviously, Lions on are still the in. NFC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, gosh, I want to say that I said the Ravens because after watching them last week, I thought they can't be beat. But didn't, I know I didn't, didn't say that. No, I didn't say the Chiefs. I know I didn't say the Chiefs because I am contractually obligated by living in Denver to never root for the Chiefs. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know it was the Lions, but it probably was like, the, it probably was the Bills, Bills-Lions. I think we both said Bills, but I watched the, I don't know if you did, I watched the Chiefs-Bills game. I don't know when this is going to drop, but it was this past, this past Sunday and uh, it was fun. Uh, I, I did not like the ending because I wanted Buffalo to win, but I don't know if you saw Travis's brother, Jason Kelsey. So there's Travis Kelsey who is Taylor Swift's I'm, boyfriend. I'm, fami- I'm familiar with the Kelsey brothers, yes. Yep, and Jason Kelsey. And uh, Jason came, and they had video of him out in the parking lot with the Bills Mafia just you know, doing shots and all that. And then during the game, he was in a suite with, with Taylor Swift, which I didn't even know this. He hadn't met Taylor yet, so this was him oh. meeting Taylor. Oh, he, I didn't know that immediately took off his shirt and he's he's a center in the in nfl probably going to be in the hall of fame so he's a big dude but you know right he, so he pulls off his shirt uh opens the windows starts yelling and then jumps out actually into the stands starts uh, are you, drink, are you, downing wait, beers. Are you, are you serious i did not see this you didn't see that I did not oh, see that. Oh, you got to look that up. It's oh. amazing. So he's out in the stands. He's chugging beers. He's picking up little kids. He he brought one up to the window who wanted to meet Taylor Swift. 
and was like introducing her to Taylor, but he's standing there in 22 degree weather, no shirt, just going nuts. I mean, just, and so it made me think about who would you rather like go hang out with Travis Kelsey who, you know, we've gotten to know uh, through the Taylor thing or Jason Kelsey. And I'll just start Jason Kelsey. I want to hang out with Jason. I want to party with Jason. Yeah. Yeah. You're a big partier without the beard. Yeah. No, I just, I just want to be around him. That was awesome. You know, you say awesome. I haven't seen it, but it sounds to me. It sounds like that would even be embarrassing for a Surratt. And, and that's saying a lot like that's, that's out there. So no shirt in Buffalo at his brother's game with his brother's girlfriend. Yeah. Who's Taylor um, Swift? I, I, I'm aware of who his brother's girlfriend is. I'm just saying is. she's the most famous I, person in the world she, she and he's, is. he's she ripping is. his shirt off. That's just, right. that's amazing. He is. He is, you know, until you told that story, I was, I was going to go with Jason because what I know about Jason is very, very little, but I know he's a family man. I know he's been a solid contributor to the, to the Eagles for years. I know he is revered in Philadelphia um, for bringing him the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, And Travis plays for the chiefs. Um, And so I can't. Yeah, easy call. It's Jason Kelsey. It, even with that, it's Jason. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know that much about him outside of being you know, an amazing center in Philadelphia. But now I yeah. want to be the guy. Without the beer, yeah. I want to be the guy. Yeah. 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 I don't recommend this, but if you haven't seen his speech at the Super Bowl parade after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, just watching that speech will give you a pretty good insight into Jason's um, – behavior after a couple of brews let's just say that okay oh i hadn't seen that i'll check that out also in the news right now is uh the the oscar nominations came out i don't know if you're an oscars watcher fan i happen to be um Mm -hmm. i like movies although in the last three years i have not watched a ton of movies um Mm -hmm just, you know, COVID and, and all that stuff. And I just don't have the attention span I used to. I don't know if right. you've noticed that, but if a movie is over an hour and a half, I'm not doing it. I, for right. the most part, I'm just not doing it. But I am fascinated with, uh, you know, who gets nominated, not nominated. So I thought it'd be fun to look at a, a few of the categories and see who you got. Who you got, let's see. Let's start well, with Best Picture. Okay, so... Full disclosure, okay? And we yep. can we can go through every category. Full disclosure. I looked at the list. I looked at every movie nominated in every category. And of all the movies nominated, like there's a lot, dozens of movies nominated. I have seen one. <laughs> so I saw one movie of every movie that was nominated. <laughs> so again, tell me the category. You don't have to read the nominees. I'll tell you who I think should what what who should win. Well, this isn't uh, so different from the actual voting, from what I've heard. I okay. don't think that they actually see all the movies. Okay. So, Good. Well, well, here's the rundown of the best picture, and this, best this picture. is more of a gut feel for you. I get it, but okay. American Fiction didn't see it. Anatomy of a Fall didn't see it. But I'm, I'm, I'm I don't going know. To Oppenheimer. We'll, we'll get oh, there. Anatomy of a Fall, which sounds like an Oscar winner. 
I have no okay. idea what the movie's about. No idea what it's but about. But it has anatomy. Um, okay. Barbie. I actually did see Barbie on a plane. Did not see, did not see Barbie. Um, the Holdovers. I saw that as well. Never never heard of it. Killers of the Flower Moon. I did see that and saw so it in I, three I, settings. So I read the book. Ooh. Loved the book. Loved the book. Like when it came out, I read it. The movie is 12 hours long, I think. Maybe it's not 12, but it's three a lot half. long. It's three and a half. It's a lot of minutes. I, I can't, I just, I don't have that. I don't know. I don't, I may, I may see Jesus before that movie ends. I, I haven't. Sounds good though. Well, we saw it in two or three settings and it is good. It is good. And I did not really know the story. It was fascinating. It's a true story based on a great a true story. story. Uh, yeah, my, Maestro uh, Bradley Cooper did not see it. I lied. I lied. I lied. I saw one whole nominated movie and i saw four and a half minutes of maestro that's all i made it so i i probably i probably didn't vote for it but that's good enough then we come to the only movie you saw apparently oppenheimer oppenheimer i think oppenheimer should win best picture after i saw it i thought why see any other movies like it it wins best picture okay by the way let me just say i'm being sarcastic i thought it was one of the best movies i've ever seen like I don't endorse the language or the morals at all, but the portrayal of the explosion and what happened in Japan, unbelievable. I, I it was for me one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. I haven't said I am going to see it. I haven't seen it yet. But hmm. um, past lives, no idea. Poor things. No. I know it's got a lot of the buzz. Emma Stone's probably going to win. What was it actress. called? Sorry. Poor things. Poor. Oh, okay. P o o r things. Wasn't. Wasn't Emma Stone in Oppenheimer too? Uh, I don't know. Was she? No, Emily Blunt. I don't know the difference between them, but Emily Blunt was mm. was in one of, one of them. Gotcha. And then uh, Zone of the Zone of Interest. I when they when they made this like ten movies, there's going to be three or four that who knows. I've never heard of it. My my uh, hope. I actually I love the holdovers, and it's not going to win. It's going to be probably Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon. But I really enjoyed the holdovers. It's Paul Giamatti. I'm a big Paul Giamatti fan. Um, I like Paul Giamatti. It's all about the plot. It's not much, you know. There's no explosions. There's, it's just really, really good. So I'm going to say the holdovers. Yeah, you're wrong because you haven't seen Oppenheimer, but that's good to see. I know, probably so. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, uh, we'll do two more because nobody cares about the rest of them. Actor right. in a leading role. We got Bradley Cooper, Coleman Domingo. Paul let Giamatti. Me just say, let me just say about Bradley Cooper. Yeah. He was great in Silver Linings Playbook. Um, he, he was, was great. He was great in uh, Star is Born. Yep. Um, learned to play the guitar for that and yep. sing. Um, I saw four and a half minutes of Maestro. And in those four and a half minutes, he seemed he seemed comp- good. Good. So, yeah. So that, that's I'm going to give it – yeah, I'm going to give it to him, even though I haven't seen the movie. Well, you got Paul Giamatti, you got Killian Murphy, which you did see that movie. So you, you would go. He with... was great. He was really good. Well, I'm giving it to Bradley Cooper because of um, Star is Born. Uh, is that you. how it works? Yeah, it's a best, act, best actor, just best actor. That's how Lord of the Three, Lord of the Rings 3, that's why it won, because. Yeah. Yeah. It was cumulative. Yeah. Yep. And then Jeffrey Wright, which actually I'm a huge Jeffrey Wright fan, but I did not see yep. American fiction. So I'm going to, uh, again, stick with my movie and say Paul Giamatti, although the winner will be Killian Murphy. 
You know who got ripped off? Rami uh, Ma- Malik. Rami Malik. What was he in? He was in Oppenheimer. Oh. But oh, he it was awesome. He was in one scene. He had one. He 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 spoke for like forty five seconds, but it was strong forty five seconds. And he was great in the movie about Queen. Well, so he won for that one, so he doesn't need another one. Uh, but he should have been nominated. Yeah, no. Uh, Leo didn't get nominated. He was okay. Great. So okay, so you saw Leo. Yep. Okay, so Leo was not nominated for best animated film, which means the category is meaningless. I'm telling you, if you haven't seen Leo, I know you saw it. No, no, no. I was I, talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. I have no. Oh idea no, I'm talking about. about. Uh, oh well, we're yeah. Okay. No idea. So Leo, Leo is an animated movie that Adam Sandler did with uh, uh, what's his name, Robert Smigel, and I'm telling you, you got to watch it. It is the best. This is I'm going way out there. It is the best animated anything since Toy Story two. Like it's that good. Not nominated. You lost me on animation. So moving on. All right, uh, actress in a leading role. This will be our last category. Uh, Annette Bening. Lily Gladstone. This is fascinating about her. She, this is her first movie role, and she was amazing, amazing in Killers of the Flower Moon. Sandra Huller, Carrie Mulligan, and Emma Stone. So here's the deal. What was Emma Stone in? Poor things. And she's she's gonna win it. She's the the, the favorite. Well, well, here's the deal. One, I. I couldn't possibly care less, but here's what I'm curious about is why there are still separate categories for actors and actresses or men and women. Like, do they act differently? Do they use it? Would women not win if they were up against the men? Like that makes no sense to me. This isn't basketball. This is acting. Like there should be a category called best actor and the best man or woman wins. This is so outdated to have so separate categories. You're going woke. You're going woke on no, the Oscars. I'm not woke. I'm not good, woke. I'm saying. Good job. I'm, I'm saying it's silly. Okay, no. here's what should happen. Here, here's my take. Who you got? Who's winning the female one? Um, oh, you already said Emily Stone. I did, I did not see the movie. I just said she's, she's, she's won everything else up to this point. So here's what I want to see. I want to see Best Picture presented by Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. And it's a makeup for what oh, happened well, to yeah. them a few a few years ago. Yes, a makeup for what happened. What was the, I don't even remember the name of the movie that won. It was, uh, well, they said La La Land and it was. Uh, was it uh, Manchester by the Sea or no, something like that? That's something I don't remember like what it was. Yeah. yeah. So they bring them back. They read the nominees. Warren Beatty gets the envelope. He opens it up. He smiles. He looks right at the camera. He winks at, um, oh, my brain just went dead. The star of, uh, of um, oh, he's up, he's up for best. Oh, for Barbie. Uh, uh, oh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, he winks at Ryan Gosling, looks right at the camera, and it says the winner of Best Picture is La La Land. And he just walks <laughs> off the stage. I would love that. It would be so good. The only other thing that would be great, the only other thing is if they have Best Picture presented by, guess who? Will Smith and Chris Rock. Mm. And they walk out. Hand they, in hand. They, do a, oh, they just walk out. They do a bro hug. They say, 
you know, oh man, that's behind us. They read the nominees. Will Smith gets the envelope. He opens it up. He says, and the best picture is, and Chris Rock cold cocks him right then. Just <laughs> knocks him out on stage. Winks at Ryan Gosling, walks off stage. I just yeah. think there's the win. Isn't Will Smith banned for 10 years? I think they banned yeah. him for 10 years. From- yeah, it was a mistake. <laughs> it was a mistake. Um, it was. All right. Um, do you want to do um, uh, best original score? No, I'm just kidding. That no, that, no, 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 not, we should, not at all. Don't we care. should move on to the things we know a little bit about, and let's talk some church news. It'd be uh, hard for me to know less about something <laughs> than I do about this year's Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, something that was in the news, and actually, my pastor Greg Laurie uh, prayed and spoke at it, which is which is really oh, okay. cool. Was the uh, that is and, cool. The annual March for Life, uh, which they do okay, in Washington, yeah. D.C. Um, mm-hmm. I believe they, they said there was over 100,000 that marched this year, and it was in the middle of, like, driving snow. Um, um, but they were all there. Did you know it's put, put on by the Catholics? No, I didn't know that. And so the, there was 100,000 in D.C.? In D.C., yep. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's put on by the Catholics. I, did, I didn't know that either till this year. But, oh, okay. Um, uh, a great mar- march, uh, obviously all for it, and um, and I think it's a great cause. Uh, the questions that came to my mind as I was watching um, and thinking about it is, you know, what's next? So always, I guess it was was the last no, it was two years ago that Roe was overturned, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So up until two years ago, the goal for the march was to get Roe overturned. Um, yeah. And it happened, and that's you know huge, great, awesome. What is the goal now? So what what right. what do you see as things like this, like this huge march? People come in, and I know it's it's a state issue now, but we still do the large march. What what what's the goal for the church post row? What are your thoughts? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I. Uh... I'm pro-life. There's, I mean, there's no, not, no doubt about that, you know, without getting into nuances and politics and all of that, I'm definitely pro-life and churches that I've been involved with have all been very strongly pro-life. Um, very early on, some of the churches I was involved with would picket at abortion clinics and some of those things. And then, and then some of them kind of decided maybe that wasn't the most effective strategy. Um, I have never been to a March for Life. I am, you know, I think it's a very positive, positive thing. I am conflicted, though, Chris, to be honest with you about exactly what you're saying. What, what is, what is the, what is the um, outcome that that is being looked for uh, by by a march like that? Like I'm and I'm, Again, I'm not negative. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I I am just not sure. And it's, I man, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I have again, I've never been to a march for life. I've never marched in a march for life. And there are people that would probably, you know, think less of me because of that. And I understand that. I really do. I haven't been an activist in the pro-life movement, but I don't know what the hoped for outcome of the one hundred thousand people that went to Washington and we're in the march. What, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I'm similar. I mean, I, I've never been as well, and I'm, I'm very, very pro-life um, as you are. Um, I, I mean, it is a little bit of awareness. It, 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 it keeps it in front of people with that many people coming together. Although I, I didn't really see the news about the March of Life like you normally do. Um, I remember when Trump was president, he actually uh, did a speech via video, but he was the first president to ever actually speak at the March of Life. So that brought a lot of attention to it. Um, you know, my thoughts are... It, it's more of a state issue now. And I think what they're looking at is putting together more marches at each state, at state capitals. And to me, that, that makes a lot of sense. But then I also think about in not just not just marches, and, and it's, it's a good thing. I think it brings awareness. But when you look at rallies, even boycotts, um, you know, it seems like when something pops up in culture or government or whatever, um, we are really good at uh, not just putting together marches, but also, you know, canceling things and boycotting things. And I just don't know how effective that is, especially anymore. Now, back in the day, I remember when I was a kid, I think uh, Disney uh, was 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 canceled at least Disney World because they had a day where it was um, uh, a gay friendly day and so we stopped supporting Disney World and that was huge I mean that was a big deal but it feels like nowadays almost every week it's something else it's another product and not just Christians but it, a lot on the conservative side some on the on the left side as well and I just don't know how effective they are anymore in this culture. Yeah. Yeah. I look at it in a couple of different ways. Um, did you, I can't remember if you went to the, uh, back when promise keepers was, was a, a very big thing going on. Did you go to the, to the rally in Washington, DC? I did not. I went to a stadium one, but not the DC one. Yeah. I went to a stadium one in Knoxville and then I went to the one in, um, in DC, and I don't know how many people were there. There were estimates of anywhere from 500,000 to a million men. And it was a powerful event. Like being there was a powerful event. Seeing what felt like a million men rallying around the, the cause of Christ. And we weren't there protesting. We weren't there against anything. We were there in unity and the unity was just around, we, we worship the same God, we worship the same Jesus. And we want to do that together, and then a commitment to walking away, uh, being men men of integrity. If you want to put it in a simple thing, I don't know how that was received in 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 the wider culture. I don't know if it felt a positive or a negative. I don't know that it, if it changed anything. I know for me, having been a part of it, I, I was able to take my son with me. He was about ten at the time. And it was very impactful to be there on the mall with my son, with a million men being led in a hymn. Jack Hayford uh, spoke and prayed, and it, it was a powerful moment. But for me, the power was in the positivity. The power is was in that this is what we're for, more than this is what we're against. Um, obviously, the if you think about the most powerful march that I'm aware of, in my opinion, in the history of the, the United States Civil was rights. the March 
Yeah, it was was several of the civil rights marches, but especially the one where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. Mm -hmm. And that continues to resonate in culture 60 years. I think it's been 60 years since that since that speech. And again, the drive of that march was what we were for, what they were for, what they stood for more even than what they were against, even though they could have rallied against some very, very bad things that were happening in our culture at that time. And they were trying to overcome those, but they were trying to overcome those with a positive, with a positive message. And so my, and, and honestly, just personally, I feel like right to life is also trying to project a positive message, a message of positivity about life and where life begins and all of that. And I know others wouldn't see it that way. I don't, I just struggle sometimes with the opposite. You you use the word cancel, which is the, you know, what happens now of one, you, you said, is it effective? Many times it's not. I'm look, I, I pulled up a list of everything that conservatives or Christians or whatever have said that we are, uh, um, we are boycotting currently, and I didn't know some of this, apparently we're boycotting Apple, American Airlines, the movie Barbie, the BBC, the Beatles, uh, which that seems like beating a dead band, or I don't know, Ben and Jerry's. French fries, uh, that one jumped out French, at me. French fries, Coca-Cola, uh, Disney's still on the list. So it, it's just an endless list. Ford, which I, I don't, I'm not even sure why, the NFL. So, so there's a lot on there, Starbucks. I don't know how effective those are. I don't know the message that that sends, but you talked about effectiveness. So if you go back up toward the top of the list, Bud Light. So that happened last year. And you know, I don't really want to get into the issue, but it was a, a very conservative and conservative Christian to, to boycott Bud Light. Well, Bud Light has fallen off the table. Like the many of the people that worked and the high levels of Bud Light have been fired, have left. It's it, honestly, that boycott has changed the makeup of that company. Mm. Has it impacted the issue behind the reason for the boycott? Mm. Are people thinking differently about transgender or LGBTQ rights because of the boycott of Bud Light? I don't want, you know, I always want to be diplomatic. No, it hasn't. It hasn't changed the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so what was accomplished? Well, a company was decimated and maybe it deserved it. I'm not saying it did or didn't, but did it change the conversation? The only thing I've seen it change the conversation is a wider divide um, between people who agree and people who disagree. So I honestly, I don't know, Chris, that, some of the some of the marches, I think, can be positive. A lot, most of the boycotts to me is like, what what are we doing? Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I I'm totally for the March for Life. And another march you think about is the Selma, uh, you know, Bridge March as well. And those are the ones that come to my mind. And you're right. It was it was for equal rights. It was for humanity. It's for life. Um, and uh, it feels like what we do is we keep narrowing or shrinking the size of our boxes. So, um, you know, we have this box and if you don't fit inside this box, we're going to cancel you and we're going to narrow our box. And the more we do that, we end up with a box of people that 
uh, think just like us, look just like us, vote just like us, and we have no influence. We have no. It's it's what social media has done uh, with algorithms. You know, I can I can like a couple posts on uh, X or Twitter, however you want to look at it right now, um, and suddenly I'm seeing everybody that agrees with me, and I'm seeing no one that has a different opinion, and you know, and we create this vacuum, and I feel like that's what we're doing with uh, with all of this. And I don't want to say cancel culture because that's such a that's like woke or whatever, but, it, but we are, we're canceling these companies who still exist and have a lot of influence. We're just not having influence with them because we're ignoring them and they're ignoring us. So. Yeah. The biggest challenge I have, and this is a tension, it's just a tension, but you know, our, our bent in this podcast is around the church and what does it mean for the church? My biggest concern is that my boycott or my March or my Facebook post or whatever it is, will be a a barrier to somebody who is open to exploring faith but they think uh well if i don't boycott chick-fil-a or if or if i if i do boycott chick-fil-a or i don't boycott bud light or i don't march in this march or i don't agree with then i can't you know i i, I can't approach that church i would not fit i would not be welcome and it, it it's a tension, right? Because, man, we we do have standards. We do have things we believe in. There are things that are right and wrong. There is such a thing as holiness, and it's a real deal, and it's something that we should wrestle with. But um, what was it, the Jerusalem Council? Maybe I misplaced it, but I think it was the Jerusalem Council that said, let's not make it hard for Gentiles to come to, come to faith. Um, let's not put what type of beer you drink or whether you drink beer ahead of, let me tell you about the redeeming, you know, the redeeming faith you can have in Jesus Christ. Let me, let, let's talk about the difference that just being a, accepting Christ and being a part of a church and the community that's there. I don't want to reject you from that community, from that faith based on something that I don't know, isn't necessarily essential to salvation. Yeah. Wasn't the only two stipulations. One of them was uh, don't drink the blood of, of, uh, of animals. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, one, and, and they said, outside of that, you know, we can have a conversation. Yep. 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 Um, ah, I had another thought on it. I can't remember, but I think we, I think we both agree on that one. Um, uh, let's talk about what we're, what we're, what we're reading right now. It's, What's influencing you? I actually started a book um, just recently called "The Other Half of Church," and this is one that's been out for a while. I'm, you know, I'm kind of new to it, but a lot of people have read it, and it's fascinating to me because it talks about Christian community, and that's something I'm very passionate about is um, being in community. I talk about small groups a lot. I've written some books in small groups and community, so that's important. Um, but another piece of this is combining that with brain science so hmm. uh, typically when we look at discipleship we look at it from one side of the brain it's more it's the logical side it's the knowledge side it's the learning side and we as a church their argument is that we are ignoring the other half of the brain which is about experiences and 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 emotions and art 
and all of these things that really make up the entire uh, human. And if we're only, uh, you know, hitting one side of the brain, we're really not, um, you know, it's not a whole discipleship, W-H-O-L-E. It's just a partial and a and not even something that uh, is going to really change somebody. So I'm only about halfway through it, but it's really just kind of fascinating me. I've re- read a few other books about brain science from a Christian point of view. And um, I think, you know, I think we can't ignore that. We can't ignore the, the neuroscience of how people are designed and designed by God and, and how we can reach them uh, and reach both sides of their brains. So anyways, just a, a fascinating read right now. Yeah, I've looked at it a little bit. I have not read it. It is, I am interested in, in diving in a little bit. I have uh, just kind of around the edges uh, um, read about some of the things discoveries happening in neuroscience. One of the thing, it just, amazing to me just to see design and God's design in that and that he completed, you know, like you said, like the book says is he designed all sides of us, the, mm-hmm. the rational fact side, but also the emotional um, side. So I'm a contrary and haven't read the book The the only thing I get, and, and I, the book may not be here at all, but sometimes it feels like we say, um, Oh, look, you, everyone's been doing discipleship wrong all the whole time. And now I've discovered a new way to do discipleship and you all did it wrong. And, and I'm always, I'm always cautious about that. I always want to learn more about how we grow in following Christ, but I also am cautious when it feels like, and that may not be the tone of the book at all, but when, when, when it's like, oh, the church, the church doesn't do, hasn't done discipleship, right? Yeah, no, no, I get that. I always cringe when there's a new uh, book that comes out about how you should be growing your church or, you know, like you said, new discipleship or you got to do it this way. I don't feel like that's the tone here. I feel like okay. it's expanding the thought of of what you could be doing. So taking science, which we typically throw out um on the Christian side, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't use the science, but this is book is saying there is science behind this. There, there's real, you know, I don't know if you've read, uh, Dr. Leaf, Caroline Leaf, um, her books on neuroscience, there's real science that, that can, uh, help us design our programs and communities in just a better way. And so I, I feel like that's more of the tone of it. Gotcha. No, I have heard some of, uh, Dr. Uh, Caroline Leaf's stuff, and it's absolutely fascinating to me, just kind of illustrating how God uh, des- designed us, and then discovering we can actually see that on a uh, brain scan, yeah. which is 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 phenomenal. Yeah. So, so what are you, hey, what about you? What are you reading? So I'm not as holy as you are, but you knew that. That's not a new thing. Yep. Um, this year, I'm trying to read a lot more. I've kind of gotten away from reading, and I'm trying to kind of balance it between I love biography, I love mem- memoirs, um, I love like I we talked last week. I, I read uh, um, the book on Hurry by John Mark Comer. Love that. So I dove into a book that's called Unreasonable Hospitality, and it's written by a guy who was 
co-owner, co-leader of a, a, a restaurant in New York City that became a four-star restaurant. I didn't even realize what a big deal that is, but there are currently only four four-star restaurants, New York Times four-star restaurants in all of New York City. And then in 2017, their restaurant uh, was voted the number one restaurant in the world which is just is crazy like that, that they would achieve that. And so this guy just talks about the, the, the unreasonable hospitality, the way they built their business from in the dining room, how they welcomed people, how they cared for people. Let me give you a couple of examples when what he means by unreasonable. So if I were to make a reservation at their restaurant, of course, their book nonstop all the time. But if I made a reservation about two weeks before I came, they would give me a call. And someone on the other end would say, Mr. Surratt, I'm excited to see that you have a reservation for us for Friday the 14th. We're really looking forward to seeing you. Just want to confirm that reservation. Absolutely, I'll be there. And then when I walk into the restaurant, the person who called me is going to be working that night. They make absolutely sure that that's the person at the front door. He or she will have researched me online, found the latest picture of me that they can find so that when I walk in the door, although we've never met, they recognize me. He walks up and says, hello, Mr. Surratt, so glad to have you tonight. And then behind his back, he sends a signal that's relayed to the server that will serve me that night. And the server, while we're having that little conversation up front, will walk up and say, Mr. Surratt, thank you for being here. I'm uh, Jim, I'm gonna be your server tonight. Let me show you to your table. Like that's unbelievable to me. And then it's New York City, so it's cold. I have a coat. I leave my coat at the front at the front door. They put it in a room, but they have figured out a system where they hang the coats according to what table I'm at and what seat I'm at. When the server sees that my table's about ready to leave, they signal someone up front. They go get those four coats. They line them up. As I start to walk out without me saying a word, someone at the front door grabs my coat and holds it for me and says, thank you, Mr. Surratt, for joining us today. I have no idea how they know that, but they've created systems to be able to do that. It's, it's incredible. So that, that kind of thing fascinates me, but the application is, is fascinating. Here's what, here's what I'm thinking they are doing all of this so that they can serve food to very rich people. And it currently costs $335 per person if you want to eat a dinner at that, at that restaurant. So mm. these are people with money and they love what they do. And that's great. But at the end of the day, they're not changing the world. In the church, we have the greatest mission of all time. How do we take some of those concepts of unreasonable hospitality? And it's not, I'm not talking about everyone who walks in your church, you, you know, ahead of time, you know, their name, you take their coat. I, that's not what I mean, but I'm, I'm fascinated with this idea of how could we apply it in a church context? Because our message is so much more important than whether people have a good dinner in New York City. Uh, it's interesting. Is that 11 Madison Park? Is that the restaurant? Yeah, it's 11, Mad 11 Madison Park. I had never heard of it before I saw the book. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to restaurants. I follow the list every year in the top restaurants, and it was the number one restaurant in the world a few years ago. Have you watched the show The Bear? I haven't. Um, I, I, I've heard it's it's fascinating. Yeah, if you're into this, what's interesting is the main guy in there uh, Jeremy Allen White's the actor, but in the story, he was the head chef at 11 Madison Park. And so oh. he, he goes home to Chicago, takes over his uh, brother's sandwich shop. And uh, 
basically you, you got to watch the show but by the end of the first season he decides to turn that into a fine dining uh, establishment and he sends one of the the guys that works there to basically 11 Madison Park they don't say the name but to a restaurant and he learns how to do everything you just talked about oh, wow. like they walk him through like they listen for hints as the person makes the reservation, they Google stock them. They, you know, they do all of that, which is mm. just fascinating. Um, but anyways, I, I love that. And my only, you were a little bit of a contrarian on my book. I'll be on yours is I hate visiting churches that are too over the top to, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I think you're an introvert. We established this. And I kind of, when I walk into a church, just want to be smiled at and, noticed but not too noticed so i always wonder where is that line of of over-the-top hospitality which is kind of funny because i would love to go to a restaurant and have that happen to me and i would i almost think i would hate to go to a church and have that happen to me and maybe i'm wrong i don't know but that's just what my thought yeah no i hear you and 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 that's where the the tension is for me because it's easy to it's easy for a church it's easy for a staff to go Oh, okay. Um, you know, the, the examples I gave or the way they polish the silver or so we need to polish our coffee cups. We need to, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but I think there, I don't know what it is. This is what's frustrating for me. I, that's not it. Like I can point to great churches who do incredible jobs with every single detail. I was looking today at a church, uh, that has their own, unique scent and they have machines that pump that scent out so that any site that you walk into you smell that exact same scent and that's their deal that's not it for me i i'm trying to figure out in 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 the church world how do we because okay at the end of the day what is hospitality hospitality is serving people jesus was the one who said, hey, serving is the thing. And then he took a towel and he knelt down and he washed their feet. I still think in the church, we haven't quite figured that out. Like for a while, it was like literally, oh, we need to bring water into the church. People need to take off their shoes and socks. We need to, we need to wash their feet. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying because that was a cultural thing. But I think we know that he was saying, in the same way that I served you, you serve others. I think as I'm reading this book, I'm trying to understand what is this in the context of church? How do I serve those around me? How do I serve the people in the congregation in a way that that honors Christ, but that would be called unreasonable hospitality? And, and honestly, Chris, as I think about it, it was unreasonable for Jesus to wash the disciples' feet. It was unreasonable for him for, as Isaiah says, by his stripes, I am healed. It was unreasonable for him to die on a cross for me. And I think that's been a tension in the church forever of how do we apply that in our context? And so with this book, what's one, it's just like you said, you're a restaurant nerd. I'm not, but I am fascinated with business, with management, with leadership and how, how that works. And so what I'm trying to, yeah, I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how does that translate, not literally, but in our attitude of how we 
not just welcome guests. How do we serve one another? So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's not a great answer. I'm, I'm still wrestling with it. We may come back to that again on another podcast, but that it, it's been a fascinating read. No, that's interesting. Did you know the original uh, Greek word for hospitality? Do you know what it, it translates to? It's actually two words. I don't. Love and stranger. So Really? The, yeah, the original Greek word for hospitality is love stranger so love of stranger which is just yeah so in my thought when i think hospitality is how do we love on the people that we would consider strangers on the people and and i i think outside the church a lot of times first so how do you love the people in your neighborhood um right you know before they even show up at church but yeah i think that'd be a fun conversation that's actually a fascinating bent. We don't have time to go down that road, but I love what you just said there, Chris. Maybe the application of what I'm thinking through the, of this book isn't in the walls of the church as much as it is, what would it look like for me to be an unreasonably hospitable neighbor? Like, what would that look like? We're going over to our neighbor's house tomorrow night for the first time. We've lived in our house for 10 years and we've never had dinner with our neighbors. And yeah, I'll have to think, even though I'm going to their house, what would it look like to just be unreasonably hospitable while I'm there? That's oh, good. Yeah, uh, good bent. Love yeah. it. Cool. All right. Well, I think we probably should wrap up this conversation. Um, our two listeners have probably dropped off at this point. They've, they've gotten bored. They've gotten a life. They've moved on. Should we try to check in with our older brother again? I mean, it is called the Surratt Brothers Podcast. Uh, no, I think, I think we've checked in enough. That was enough. For, I think we have. I think that was oh, Here's another nerd uh, restaurant thing. You know, the Michelin star thing. Do you, did you know where Michelin came from and why it started as an award? I do. It was the actual Michelin, Michelin company that makes tires Michelin. and yep. they started the award. So people would drive more to these restaurants and wear out their tires so they'd have to buy new ones. That's right. What country did it start in? Uh, Spain. France. France. Close, though. Uh, yeah. yeah. One of those. All right. So that wraps it up. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Surat Brothers. And we're so glad that you are checking us out. We would like it even better if you would subscribe uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Play, uh Apple Podcasts. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts. Yeah, anywhere you are to subscribe. It'll show up in your feed. You won't have to think about it. We'll just be like um, George on Seinfeld when he was Costanza. We'll just show up every week in your in your box. Um, and also like us. We would Only if you'll give us a five star. Otherwise, don't. But we would love it if you would like us and comment. And that'll do it. We'll see you next time.